So Money Episode 1476, Starting a Business in the Pandemic While Battling Cancer with Elena Zienda and Christina Dore Drake, co-founders of Willa's Organic Oat Milk. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Yeah, I felt like we were blindsided by one thing after another in 2020. We were supposed to launch in April, March of 2020 in offices and co-working spaces in New York City. We had been like planning that for a year and a half, building relationships, you know, of course, not knowing that everything was going to shut down for a very long time. And in January of 2020, at 36 years old, after my first mammogram ever, I was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Two guests on the show today, two sisters, two business owners, and listeners of the So Money podcast. Christina Dore Drake and Elena Zienda are the co-founders of Willa's Organic Oat Milk, which is on a mission to create a plant-based milk that tastes as good as it is for people and the planet. The business started in the winter of 2020, right as the pandemic was rearing its head. Learn how the sisters navigated all that uncertainty, plus Christina's early stage breast cancer diagnosis around the same time. She went through chemo, radiation, immunotherapies. She exercised religiously, ate mostly plant-based while working full-time to launch Willa's. She's cancer-free today, but the experience, she said, further solidified her commitment to ensure the company uses ingredients with integrity. Today, they are distributed widely. We talk about marketing a business, growing a business in the food industry with all this inflation going on and how fear propelled them to make healthy decisions in their business. Christina Dore Drake and Elena Zenda, sisters, co-founders, listeners of So Money, welcome to the show. This is such a treat for me. <laughs> for us too, we're such big fans. We're really honored to be here. Well, I should give everyone the backstory. You know, people often say to me, you do episodes so many times a week. I've done over 1,400 shows. How do you ever find guests routinely? And, you know... uh, it's part of what I do. It's my job, but I also have the, this incredible opportunity. And this is, this is, this is it. Like when your listeners are so amazing that you, that they reach out to you and they, and you know, you guys, you, you left a review for the show. Um, we connected as I do every Friday, I pick a reviewer of the week. And then we just kind of talked and, and discussed your business, which is why you're here. I want to tell everybody about, um, your oat milk company, Willa's Organic Oat Milk. But this is a, sort of a very full circle moment. I'm really excited to get into it. So let's get into it. Willa's Organic Oat Milk. This is uh, an up and coming emerging oat milk contender in the market. As we know, this is a very hot market. A lot of people are looking for dairy alternatives. Um, but Let's start with how two sisters had the courage to say, <laughs> let's work together on a startup in a very competitive industry. And by the way, I think you both were living in different states at the time and probably mm -hmm. still. So yeah. whoever wants to start with that journey 
And then just say who's talking to so our audience can get a sense of the voices. Sure. This is Christina. So we originally started just because we were both plant-based milk drinkers and we were tired of watery, chalky plant-based milks that were mostly artificial ingredients and sugar and not actually plants. And our grandmother was a real force in our lives. And she made really delicious creamy oat milk using real ingredients like vanilla and sea salt. And so we decided to name the brand in her namesake and everything we do has to live up to her name and her ethos. And so at every turn, every decision, you know, we say, would this live up to, to our grandmother's name? And would this align with our values? And with that, Elena actually ended up basically redesigning the way plant-based milk is made. Um, we just kept learning more and more about the way everyone else is doing it and learning that, you know, it's usually made with a lot of sugar, a lot of oat sugar, and the best parts of the oat are dumped into a landfill. And mm -hmm. Elena and our team figured out how to create oat milk using the whole oat, real organic ingredients to get this really rich, creamy taste that's lower in sugar, higher in the benefits and zero food waste and, and better for the planet. Yeah, Elena, you, you are a chemical engineer by training. You have an MBA. You spent your career motivated to change the food system for good. You were doing it for other companies to start, and now you're doing it for your own uh, business. Tell us about how um, you've been able to relay all this corporate experience into, into Willa's. Absolutely. Yeah, this is Elena. I think corporate experience is a great training ground. And um, along those lines to starting a business with your sister, I think one of the benefits has been we both had so much experience working for um, really big, powerful companies. So Christina's background comes from working for these incredible ad agencies in New York. Um, I've worked in food and beverage for a really long time. And I think what's really exciting about starting your own company and a large part of the reason we wanted to do it is you can do it your own way. You don't have, you know, all of the corporate red tape. It's calling up my sister and asking her, hey, I think we should do this next. What do you think? And along those lines, too, it was interesting because growing up, I feel like People would sometimes ask us if we were twins. We look really similar, but we had very different interests. So <laughs> I was very much like math and science. Christina, super, super creative. And we'd kind of look at each other and be like, how did we end up as sisters? But as we've gotten older and obviously started this business together, I think it's been our biggest strength. So yeah, it sounds like a perfect match. We got the business side, the creative side. We should mention this business was has not been a straight path in the sense that there have been a lot of um, life's earth like life's quakes happening uh, um, along the way, the pandemic, and then I know Christina, you um, are a survivor of breast cancer, and this all happened as you're launching the business. It's hard enough to launch an, a business, let alone one in the food industry with such a competitive uh, segment of the food industry, and then on top of that, layered on top of that, a global pandemic and a health crisis. So perhaps, um, Christina, you can talk a little bit about when you got the news and the decisions that you really were confronted with. Um, you decided to continue start, you know, running the business. What made you want to continue doing that? Yeah, I felt like we were blindsided by one thing after another in 2020. We were supposed to launch in April, March of 2020 in offices and co-working spaces in New York City. 
we had been like planning that for a year and a half, building relationships, you know, of course, not knowing that everything was going to shut down for a very long time. And in January of 2020, at 36 years old, after my first mammogram ever, I was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. And, and thankfully, we caught it early. My mom was like one of these people who was like, do yourself exams, do yourself exams. So thank goodness for that. And yeah, I mean, I remember my first appointments with my oncologist. I was just like, I'm, I'm starting a business. We're launching soon. We've been working on this since 2018. I need to be able to continue. And I was Googling like crazy, trying to find examples of founders who had gone through something like this and kept going. And to be honest, I, I couldn't find any. So um, I kind of vowed to share my story in the hopes that it would help someone else. But um I, oddly, you know, going through that and just kind of getting getting sort of pummeled by one thing after another, I actually felt more, I felt more like a fire under me than ever to continue because it was sort of this realization that there are no dress rehearsals in life. This is my shot to have a net positive impact on people and on the planet and Willa's was my ticket to doing that. And so um, I just, you know, I kind of put everything into figuring out what I needed to take care of myself so that I could be there for for this brand and, and we could launch it. And then I had all these, you know, crazy realizations around I was carving out time to meditate and journal and work out and eat healthier and you know, just trying to survive, essentially going through chemo while working full time. And, a pandemic. and I realized, yeah, in the pandemic in New York. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm only giving myself permission to do all these things for myself, all this self care, because I'm going through a health crisis. Like everybody deserves to, you know, carve out time for these things, especially entrepreneurs. So, in, in many ways, it really taught me that there are th- certain things like therapy, workouts, you know, Uh, time for myself that are non-negotiables and really worthwhile investments. Thankfully, I had a really positive, you know, response to treatment. I'm cancer free. It's unlikely to come back. And our team is more resilient for it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Having gone through all of that together. (laughs) Very happy to hear that. Um, You know, I'm listening to you and I'm also thinking about money. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Uh, (laughs) I'm, um, you know, I'm wondering how the two of you worked through the financials of a startup in a pandemic when maybe you were hoping that you would launch sooner, maybe you didn't. I don't know. Walk me through some of the financial hurdles and how you overcame them. Did you start this with a lot of savings? Did you continue to have your jobs? I want to, the reason for this question is because I want for people who are listening to know that um, there are, financial concessions that you have to make at every point of starting a business. And even before you start the business, right, you have to make some really important financial decisions. So what were some of the really big ones for the both of you? You know, it's it's sort of a, a hard truth that people don't always want to hear. We didn't want to hear, but even, you know, a lot of our advisors were like, nobody gets off unscathed starting a business. There are a lot of challenges involved. You know, things don't always work on the timing that you were expecting. <laughs> but we also felt like it was a bet we were making on ourselves. With that, 
you know, it was an investment in ourselves and an investment in a brand that honestly, I've, I believed in a lot more than a lot of the businesses and the ETFs I was, you know, investing in through my IRA. So in addition to that tough reality of really no one getting through starting a business completely unscathed. Um, we did try to set ourselves up for success early on. So a lot of those things you reiterate on this show, and I've learned from this show, but going into it with a really strong emergency fund or you know pre-business start rainy day fund, particularly in food and beverage businesses and CPG. It sounds super cute, super fun to be like, oh, I'll take, you know, that recipe that we've had forever and we'll turn it into this product and bring it to the masses. It sounds great, but cash flows are really, really tough um, in in consumer packaged goods. So Mm -hmm. being able to have that emergency fund or side fund, whatever you want to call it, for those ebbs and flows in cash flow, I think has really helped us stay afloat, whether it's, you know, the pandemic or vendors paying late or a health crisis. So I think that all helped. Um, and through this journey as well, like Christina said, I, I have tried to shift my mindset to not be thinking about, oh, am I not investing enough into, you know, some of the traditional investment areas that I used to be really focused on and I'm putting more into the business. Um, But like Christina said, we're investing in ourselves. We're investing in a business we know better than any other. Um, And so it's kind of a a shift on, on where we're playing our cards for the long run. And the other thing is you can get really good at health insurance as a small business. People don't always realize that. And thank goodness we did that. So you can go through a broker or a platform like JustWorks. So even though I was, you know, in the early days I was freelancing, my, our other co-founder, my husband was also freelancing while we built Willas. Um, we were able to have good insurance, which, you know, thank God. And you got all of that immediately before you launched. And then, of course, with your health diagnosis, what a miracle that you had because it would have been so financially draining. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. You know, the insurance company was covering hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical expenses every month, which is um, our our health. A month? A month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why is it so expensive to treat breast cancer in 2020? At this point, it was 2020, whatever, like in the 21st century. I feel like that's a scam. I feel that's other. That's another show. That's, that's another a whole show. show. Nobody <laughs> has to pay a quarter of a million dollars or a million dollars to be cured of stage one breast cancer. Come on, right. America. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about the oat milk industry. You know, in the context of just the food industry, which we've seen inflation, I mean, just as a, as a supermarket shopper, uh, I, I've seen prices go up. How ha- And so I assume that's because business owners like you are experiencing price hikes from everything from packaging to shipping to, you know, all your ingredients are probably more expensive now than they would have been, say, three years ago. So how are you navigating all of that to stay competitive and profitable in, in a time when inflation is so, so still very out of hand. One of the best decisions we made in the early days was really prioritizing healthy unit economics. A lot of our competitors were essentially like a lot of the startups were reading about. They were uh, you know built in a grow at all cost mindset, which essentially meant in the bad times, you know they're they're grasping at straws and trying to figure out how to raise prices. 
we started really wanting to be at a, a price point that would allow us to make a healthy margin, which was which was huge. And then equally, when we raised our prices because shipping rates started going up, we just were really transparent with our customers and our fans, saying this is why we want to keep we want to keep offering organic ingredients using the best quality ingredients you know, living by our values. And we got a really resp- positive response from from our customers, um, just being really open with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and tell- I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to add to that. I think as we've been getting into this business more and, and switching from developing products into looking at our existing products, I've just gotten a lot more comfortable with negotiation, to be honest. So I'm constantly on the phone with our vendors talking about how we might be able to get better pricing, what it looks like if we buy in advance or buy in bulk. Um, and I think just being really comfortable asking for those things, even if you're a small company, even if, you know, you're um, a smaller customer to some of these vendors can can really help and pay off since we do um, want it to be as affordable for everyone as possible. So how do you scale, you know, and, and you've scaled pretty well in, in, in a short period of time. That's very important, right? When you're trying to build something like in your category, like scaling is, is so important and there is competition that's been there before you arrived. And you talked a little bit, um, Elena, about how you've been negotiating with vendors. Any tips for those of us listening who want to get into the holy grails, like, Costco or Whole Foods or the major supermarket chains, like what are they really looking for? Do they invite competition or are they, you can maybe give us some insights. I don't know if you've had relationships with Target or Walmart, but there was a, there's been a rumor that, you know, they, they know how coveted their real estate, their shelving is that they are not very generous with margins and sharing the profits. And so as a business owner, sometimes you bypass the big box retailers because it's just not, yes, it's good marketing maybe, but you're not making any money. So what are some of the considerations you've had to make as you've been scaling and considering where to show up? And it's also their choice, right? To have you show up. So what's been that like? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. It's been really interesting to learn about some of the kind of holy grail distributors, retailers that you think of where it's you dream of your product being on that shelf. Um, At the same time, exactly like you're saying, as you dig into it, it can be very expensive to get on shelf. And then once you do, it's also really shocking the distributors for these uh, retailers, what kinds of cuts and discounts and um, percentages they're taking off without even telling you. So you'll think, oh, we're selling for this price. Maybe we're offering this promo. You have an idea of how much revenue should be coming in and you get it and you see kind of all these line item discounts and it can be really shocking and really devastating for a business. So um, the nice thing is, or helpful thing is, I feel like this is coming to the surface more. Um, Entrepreneurs are being really honest about it. So in our early days where we were having discussions, asking other entrepreneurs who had been there, uh, what to watch out for, what are the pitfalls? This was one of the top things. So we've been looking to kind of 
turn those models on their head a little bit. Um, a lot of our retailers we are working with directly, shelf distributing to. Um, we have team members that will literally drive around to different distributors and distribute product. And also looking for small ones that um, are more willing to work with smaller brands and a little bit more transparent about their policies. I think part of what's been really nice is we've actually seen some of these retailers reach out to us. So yeah, I mean, maybe it's because you have such a great online presence too. I want to learn a little bit about your marketing and what has been a worthwhile investment because not everywhere obviously pays off the same. Yeah. I mean, Amazon in many ways is kind of the worst and the best thing for a small business. You know, the margins aren't as great. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know, there are some questions about how sustainable Amazon is. At the same time, it allows us to sell nationwide. They pay us every two weeks, whereas retailers pay us a month or more later. And it has meant that we've even had some really amazing investors discover us on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, some fellow founders that you know fell in love with the brand and reached out. So you know things like that. There are a lot of sales channels that are sort of also built-in marketing. And, and that is one. Another one is um, selling to offices. You know, it's sort of like you're getting you're getting paid to sample, <laughs> right. which is wonderful. So we've been really looking at kind of alternative channels where we know we can make a good margin and um, marketing is just part of part of the selling process. Offices is brilliant because that's where people are spending eight hours a day in the office and there's studies that show that when an employer introduces you to whether it's a 401k or a brand, there's a lot of trust between the employer and the employee. And, and so that was that's smart on your part. Before we were recording, we were talking about, and on our call, when we had our 15-minute money session, we were talking about fear and how this emotion has played an integral role in both of your lives as entrepreneurs. So, because this is all I think about these days with a healthy state <laughs> of panic coming out in October, uh, would love for you to share either Elena or Christina a, a quick story of how fear has been a, a source of strength for you and a, an, an emotion that has provided directionality in your business life. I can share a really recent story. We've been, you know, doing a small round um, fundraising with angel investors, a lot of fellow founders. And I got the advice to be super brash and ultra confident pitching investors. And I thought, man, that doesn't really feel genuine to me. You know, I'm really passionate about what we're doing. And I think that exudes confidence in its own way. But I, I'm not like the the founders you see in the media, I guess, you know, and, um, I realized I, this memory came back to me of college. We took a, a test in one of my business classes that said whether or not you'd be a good entrepreneur. And I did not perform well because I was not fearless. And now, you know, we think about this all the time, actually, Ellen and I talk about this a lot about how a healthy bit of anxiety can actually really help you. And, you know, so much of starting a business is not just about the things you say yes to, but it's the things you say no to. Like, mm -hmm. as you were saying, you know, going into all Whole Foods or all Target stores or all Walmarts overnight could, you know, have some really devastating consequences for a small new brand. So it's been really interesting kind of exploring that and, and talking about that, especially with other women founders, um, because... You know, I think it's about acknowledging, for me, it's about acknowledging the fear and kind of 
sussing out what's anxiety and what's, you know, like a genuine gut instinct that like, you know, this is a bad decision. But I think, you know, we've also seen being completely fearless as a founder is, is does not always pan out well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think you're hundred percent right about that. And I think what, when you are given that bad advice of be fearless, you know, or be brass, be, be aggressive in your meetings. You know, we all get this sort of stereotypical advice of how to be in certain scenarios to, to be, to be liked. And you were, had you followed that advice, it would have completely backfired on you because it's not who you are. So good of you to know that ahead of time, because a lot of us, we take the advice. We, 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 we accept it. We're like, okay, we got to perform. We have to be liked. So I'm going to be someone I'm not. And then your body gets very confused when you're trying to be someone you are not. And that's when you start saying terrible things. That's when you start tripping up. I mean, it's happened to me on live television. You can read about it in the book. Uh, I thought that I had to be a certain way on television, you know, and um, my first time on the Today Show, I went in with like a script in my head, a very robotic sense of how to behave on camera. And don't you know, I said something very terrible on live television that um, I thought was going to be the end of my career. It didn't. Oh, that's but, so hard to imagine. <laughs> well, I was 25 or 26 years old. So I was also really young and impressionable. And I think that this, to hear you talk about it too, it shows up all the time in our lives, whether you're just starting out, whether you're starting a business and your experience in starting a business, you get a, we get a lot of bad advice out there about who to be, how to be the opposite of who we are to be quote unquote successful. And that's, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to learn when you're young because you just want to play the game. Um, but anyway, thanks for sharing that. I am. I, when it wasn't, this wasn't like an easy process for me to realize, you know, I, I had this experience in college that probably made me afraid of entrepreneurship for a very long time without fully kind of internalizing why I felt that way, why I felt like I wouldn't be good at it. And then, you know, having that, having been given that advice, um, for, for a while, I was sort of internalizing it as, oh, this is another, you know, sign, like, maybe, I, maybe I'm not cut out for this, maybe, you know, and then I started talking to other women founders who are much further along than us, who had raised money, had built successful businesses and realized I wasn't alone in those feelings. And that as, as you're always, you know, touting, like, these fears can be useful and helpful and just important to know rather than just assuming that they need to be squashed somehow or right. you need to become someone different. Yes. Yes. Elena, what, what do you got? What do you got about fear? Tell us. I, yeah, I'm, I'm completely <laughs> relating here. I mean, I think from even just being in middle school and being really interested in science and math, even there, there was sure. just this kind of constant feeling of, of not really fitting in. And I think, um, you know, it took me a really long time and every single new new job or new promotion that I got in my 20s, I think was almost a retest of that. Um, and as I got older and saw more women in leadership positions and engineering and operations and food, I got more comfortable. But um, it's really interesting to reflect back now on that, that fear of judgment, that fear of making sure you look competent, that fear of not being successful when you're the only. And I think it's it can be a constant battle for a lot of us and, and something that's so important to talk about. I hope I hope it just kind of gets better for for everyone and in, in future generations is is just different different ways of working, different 
personalities, different ways of pitching yourself, um, whatever your role might be, um, just become more, more accepted and, and appreciated as well. Yes. I hope for that day as well. Now, before we go, I want you to share a little bit about where we can find Willa's. And I know you also have a special offer for our listeners. So I'll give you the floor to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. You can find Willa's at a lot of the kind of smaller grocery stores, um, Erewhon in LA, Union Market in New York City, Foxtrot around the country. But we're also available on Amazon and then on Willa'sKitchen.com, W-I-L-L-A-S, K-I-T-C-H-E-N.com. Um, if you use the code so money, you'll get a special 30% off on any oat milk, including our new dark chocolate oat milk, which is Ooh, really delicious. Yum. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. I'll be definitely making some purchases. Listen, it's been so nice to hang out and see you because last we spoke, it was just on the phone. And now, um, you know, come back anytime. We are rooting for you. And um, thanks for being fans and, and such great role models. Truly, Elena and Christina, thank you so much. Thank you. We can't wait for your book. Thanks to Elena and Christina for joining us. For a discount on Willa's oat milk, click on the link in our show notes. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. And I hope your day is so money. Money.